If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Big Ben Strong is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guest. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jen McQueen. Here's Scott Thompson. There you go. That'll warm you up. That'll get the blood flowing. That'll stop the goosebumps. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML. All right. So uh, I want to I want to run with this while the connection is hot, as they say. And who knows what could happen when you're heading down to Orchard Park, New York, and you're trying to catch a Bills game, and all of a sudden the weather uh, plays a factor. All right. So uh, we we affectionately call him Uncle John in our house because he's my brother-in-law and my kid's Uncle John. So he is a massive Buffalo Bills fan, and uh, you know Kurt and I have been. Been lucky enough to ride piggyback with him when he's headed down there, and uh, he knows how to do it right. He's been doing it for years, and of course, uh, he said, "Hey, game's canceled. I'm not sure if I can go Monday." Here it is, Monday, and Uncle John is at the Buffalo Bills game. How you doing, John? Hey, Scott. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly. First of all, are you tailgating? Are you outside or inside the stadium? Uh, we're outside right now. There's a little place down here called Kettles, and uh, we're in the uh, car. We popped in the car to do the call, and uh, everyone's tailgating around here. It's uh, it's a great vibe. The weather is uh, cold, crisp, but uh, not snowing right now, and everybody's in a great mood for uh, the Buffalo Bills today. So uh, as far as attendance, I mean, is there just as many people that are there that would have been there on a Sunday, or is it a bit lighter crowd? I would say it was lighter. When we come down for a 1 p.m. game, we leave a little bit earlier in the morning, About um, get here about 10 to 10.30. And we left about an hour later today, but we arrived about the same time. Nothing at the border, clear sailing all the way through. Um, we got to our usual tailgate spot, and there was hardly anyone there, so we came to this place, and uh, there were people already here. Fires were going. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's a great vibe. Everyone's in a good mood, and uh, we're loving it. My, my so- friend Dan here, who you met, uh, yeah. He's here with me, and uh, the two of us met a bunch of new friends, and uh, it's all good. So uh, clearly, the cold weather hasn't uh, hasn't uh, convinced anybody to stay away. They're they're there either way. Uh, there may be some staying away, but uh, you can't tell from here. The parking lot's full, um, people around the fires, and uh, lots of the usual tailgate activities going on. We're having a blast. All right. So, what about the stadium itself, man? We've seen the footage over the uh, over the course of uh, the weekend, and obviously, you haven't been there. But what are you expecting when you get inside? Uh, we're expecting that uh, the seats may have snow on them, and the ground may have snow on them. But we're prepared. We got the foot warmers on, the hand warmers. Uh, we talked about putting cardboard down on the floor. We stand the whole game anyway. We don't sit down, so yeah. that won't matter as long as we can get to the spot where we can watch the game. We'll be good. So, uh, lucky enough, Kurt and I and you and Dan were there for the big snowball game back in uh, 2018. Is it is it anything like that? Uh, very similar. In fact, there were some young boys here with a, uh, their mom, and they were throwing a football and rolling in the snow. And I said, you know, in 2018, I was here with a young fellow. He was rolling in the snow. And, I, and my buddy said to me, you know, he's going to get cold if he gets wet, and then he might get, uh, not enjoy the game as much. And sure enough, Kurt was cold about halftime. And uh, I told these guys, but I think it's colder here now, so the snow is not wet. Um, Yeah. 
So I think they'll be fine, but it's kind of the same, although I don't know if we're going to get any snow today, and the wind's not up now, so it's probably perfect football conditions for Buffalo and the Buffalo fans. Yeah, it looks like a pretty clear sky down there. So is anybody jumping on tables? Is it all the normal stuff that you would see at a tailgate party? Uh, we are about, uh, what, an hour and a half almost to game time. I think the table stomping probably got an hour away to go. Um, so we'll see some of that stuff probably on the route. we got about a 15, 20-minute walk to the stadium. Um, yeah. We'll leave here by 3.30, and I'm sure we'll see a few of uh, the table stomps going on. All right, so uh, what is it on a day like today? Is it cold beer or hot toddies? Uh, definitely cold beer and no cooler required. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No need to buy that. So what are you guys wearing? How are you dicked out? Cause what is the temperature down there now? Um, actually, it's showing on here. <laughs> must be from the fires going on around me. It's showing plus two. There's no way it's plus two. We got here, it was about minus 15 Celsius, up to about minus 11. And, um, I mean, it feels pretty good because there's fires all around me here in the parking lot, little bonfires going on. It's pretty yeah. good. Um, so, I don't know what to expect as far as uh, going in. It, I don't know, it feels pretty nice to me. Oh, and what am I wearing? I have three layers on, including a pair of these um, Buffalo Bills, um, I don't know, kind of pants, but... I think I might have gotten them from you for Christmas a couple of years. I know ago. I got I got the same pair, John. I know. So you're basically wearing your pajamas uh, out there on the tailgate, but I've seen a few of those going around. <laughs> and you know, if I was home for a sixty, what am I, sixty-seven year old man or sixty-six? This is craziness, but hey, you come here and you go a little crazy. All right. So what are you eating? What are you guys barbecuing? Uh, we had chili. I made chili at home this morning, and uh, we had that, and there was some Doritos. And uh, we just went inside the kettles here, and uh, what was that shot we had, Dan? What was that? We had cinnamon something? Fireball. Fireball. We had a fireball. <laughs> and, uh, this is my last uh, two beers. I had two beers. So that's it. That's all I have today. And uh, I'll be good to drive home by tonight because I'm stopping right now. All right, there you go. Well, uh, you guys have a great time down there, and uh, cheer on the bills for us. And I may give you a call in an hour just to get a tee up before you get in. You never know. All right. Have a good day. All right. Have fun and say hi to Dan for us. Uh, that is John and Dan, my uh, brother-in-law, John, down at the Bills game with his buddy. Uh, again, canceled yesterday, and they made the trek today, uh, which is great to hear. And it sounds like the atmosphere is great down there. It's cold. Uh, it's uh, chilly, obviously, and clear skies. So uh, the, the good news is is that it's not snowing, and it doesn't appear to be too windy, which uh, is pretty good. You know, people bundle up. They get into, into it. They do it, uh, and, and on you go. We've talked at length about the housing situation, the houseless, the homeless here in the city and, and, and everywhere you go. Like, seriously, I mean, this is a problem right the way across the country. It doesn't matter how big the city is, Hamlet, uh, what have you. Uh, the, obviously, affordability and what has been happening has, uh, has pushing, is pushing people to other alternatives. So we were talking last week. And this was an ad that I believe was on Kijiji that uh, uh, Will, our producer, saw in regard to a one ha- uh, one Hamiltonian testing out the idea of renting out a trailer, like a camping trailer that's sitting in your driveway. 
and in trading, uh, uh, renting that out as a living space, as as an apartment. So uh, we took a look at it, and um, you know, is is this, is this a sign of the times? Is this a solution? And what is the response to something like this? Let's bring in Jermaine Valentin, a local musician, a local musical artist, and entrepreneur, owner of the trailer that he's renting for the extra space. Jermaine, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, Sam. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you fine, Jermaine. So tell us about this trailer. Well, originally my trailer was actually like to rent out as a mobile studio, but I wasn't getting anywhere with like uh, um, the, the the studio time. So what I ended up doing was to pay the finance for the trailer was to help making make affordable housing for people with the trailer to make it like easier for them to live by downs helping them downsize and eventually renting uh financing other trailers from this to rent them out so that it can make uh, a trailer park eventually offer the money from that and i also was going to try to like help get donations for osots canada which is a, a non-profit organization that i made so everything's like osots like the record label osots records and everything um and you can check out my new album supernova album on youtube I got Gucci man and uh, so Jermaine, big so Jermaine. Like Rick Ross and that, but uh, they wanted us to talk about the trailer. But uh, with the trailer, I wanted to also build like surveys, a trailer park by doing this and get other people to participate with OSOTS Canada to help donate to like uh, a project they wanted to get going on for the trailers to send out trailers to Jamaica uh, with uh, solar panels and year supply of food to help people to live in shacks in Jamaica and then try to help the rest of the world with that. And also with uh, a petition for hockey team, it's also to help make more jobs and uh, more business for all the business around us on change.org. It's for Hammerhead, uh, uh, Hammerhead, uh, Shark, Hammerhead Sharks hockey team, NHL hockey team. The petition is on change.org. All we need is petition. Uh, all right, Jermaine, Jermaine, let's, let's, but let's keep for, it. Also let's... for the crisis, for the health, uh, housing. To Jermaine, help we got right? Jermaine, we got to keep it to one topic here. You're going all over the place yeah, here. Also, We're getting confused. I want to ask you. donations for that as well. Jermaine, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Is the trailer yeah. located like in your driveway? Like where's the it's trailer located? Okay, I'm renting it from somebody else. And um, I'm trying to look for more people to rent trailers out to in the driveways to help make affordable living so that people can, so we can help uplift people and, and stop this down spiral of like, you know, the negativity and bring positive and help uplift people and show other people that we can uplift people by helping make an affordable living with these trailers and helping them die, down downsize, sorry, um, to um, having a tra- more trailer park land space to help people downsize and eventually yeah. build communities that are like suburban areas or pools in the backyard that are affordable to live in and have people that deserve their working people and students have more opportunities for jobs as well from that and living spaces to make it easier for everybody to live because I feel so like it's a your good solution idea, for everybody. So is your Jermaine, I, is your idea Jermaine to have like a series of these to rent out? Yes. And build a, a trailer park, yeah. you know, and even have like a, a summer camp there for music summer camp as well, evolve into that every summer and have some shows from big artists come through as well. Now, have you had any success in, in people wanting to rent out the uh, the trailer? Yeah, I have, but I've been going on a two-month thing, and then we haven't been really going uh, to see eye-to-eye on the stipulations of the contract. People are not understanding it, so it didn't work out for a few people. But I'm just trying to find somebody serious that really wants to be upgraded in life and have an opportunity to live in, like, 
like a cheaper living space so they can help elevate them to get like their own living space, like a down payment on a house or something that whether it's a family or a single person, it's a student or a working taxpayer. So what is, so $700 a month to rent the trailer. How big is the trailer? How many feet? Do you know? It's it's actually 19 feet long. So it's like, I think it's like, it's almost about 19 square feet. Almost. It's like 10 by 19 thing. But it's like, it's like basically a, a bachelor apartment on wheels that doesn't really yeah. move anywhere. It just stays mo- uh, in, in one spot. It's not mobile. And does that 700, does that include like electricity and heat and all yes, that? everything. Electricity. The only thing I haven't got right now is uh, internet. And uh, I want to get like uh, some cable in there too. But I just have to kind of like elevate this business from this one trailer and pay off the finance from, you know, getting people to live there. And, right. and, and from that, get other trailers financed and hopefully get other people from this radio interview to help out to make more living spaces through trailers. Like they're helping people downsize and make it easier for them to elevate themselves. So like, again, like I said, they don't have to live there forever. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But they could mm-hmm. use this as a stepping stone to elevate their life and, and bring them somewhere. Cause it's so hard to live right now. Like just for one bedroom apartment, I see it's like 2,800 for a one bedroom apartment, or even a bachelor, it's like 1,500. And I mean, and it's just like a bachelor part the same size as the trailer. So and I try to yeah. make it affordable with like paying the space to rent up space and then having somebody live there and paying the finance all together. Right. Jermaine Valentin with us, local musician, local musical uh, musical artist and entrepreneur, owner of the trailer that's being rented as extra living space, looking for this as perhaps another option to help the situation with Hamilton's homeless. Jermaine, thanks for the time. Good luck. Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott Thompson. You have a good day. We have certainly talked about this, uh, that uh, in the in the time that the Trudeau government has been in power, the size of uh, of the government has just ballooned. It's taken off. And and it's funny, you know, I, I remember hearing this in the past. I'm an old guy that uh, it seems the liberals blowed up the size of the uh, of the government and the conservatives, you know, try to cut it back down whenever they're in power. So let's bring in Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayers Federation federal director, who says it's time for uh, a New Year's resolution for this government to uh, slim down. Franco, Happy New Year. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Happy New Year. I am doing well, and thanks for having me on today. So, as I mentioned in the preamble, it seems the con- uh, the uh, uh, the conservatives, you know, sort of trim this back and the libs kind of inflate it. Is there any validity to the argument that, you know, they're just hiring back everybody that Harper cut? Well, you know, I mean, before... Trudeau came to power. It wasn't like there was like this bureaucratic shortage in Ottawa. Right. And also, too, I just want to point out the fact that um, it's not just conservatives who have cut spending or at least tried to rein in the deficits in the past. I mean, all we have to do is look back to the 90s when you had the Cretchen government, which was a liberal government. Mm -hmm. uh, That balanced the budget that did a huge program spending review to find some areas of waste. So this doesn't have to be a partisan issue. I mean, I wish it wasn't. Right. You have interest charges that are now going through the roof. You have these never ending big time, 40 billion dollar a year deficits. So I would hope that the liberal liberal government now under Trudeau can exercise the similar type of restraint that the Cretchen government did back in the 90s. Do we know what all of the and, you know, we're hearing numbers as high as 40 percent over over the rain. Do we know what these new hires are specifically being used for? And the reason I bring that up, I remember talking to a business professor and he said, you know, companies are doing the reverse because of uh, uh, digitalizing everything, AI and such. So, you know, it's not like these are laborious positions. Do we know what why they're being hired, hired where they're being put? 
Yeah, so Scott, unfortunately, the numbers that we got back from the government are really just high level numbers, right? Showing the increase in the size. Um, but what we do know is that the Trudeau government hired 98,000 additional bureaucrats since taking office, 98,000, which is a 40% increase, right? And, and that's a part of the reason why the total cost of the bureaucracy has ballooned under this administration. When Trudeau first took office, the cost of the bureaucracy itself was like $39 billion a year. Uh, fast forward to 2022, and the cost of the bureaucracy ballooned to about $61 billion. So from $39 billion to $61 billion, even after factoring in inflation, that's still an extra $10 billion a year that the bureaucracy is consuming. And, and here's why that matters. So Canadians are getting taxed left, right, and center. I know everyone is really struggling these days. Taxes continue to go only one way, it seems, and that's up. You have these massive deficits, $40 billion this year, about $40 billion next year. And it's the bureaucracy that consumes half of the government's day-to-day -day spending. So what does that mean? It means that if any government, whether it's the liberal government, a conservative government, even an NDP government, any government that were to come to power and want and that wanted to provide meaningful tax relief and tackle this massive deficit would have to rein in the size of the bureaucracy. There's just no way around it. So what is in this for the ruling party? Why would you do this? What's the reasoning behind it? Well, let's just, you know, call a spade a spade. It's tough to go toe to toe with the bureaucracy. It's tough, right? It's much easier to pretend to play hardball but then secretly just give in to the bureaucracy's demands. Uh, let's just remember back, what was it, last uh, spring, March, April, when the Peace Act Union, the CRA as well, when they went on strike and they're making huge hay out of it, right? It's very tough for politicians to actually do what's right and protect the public purse against federal government unions. It's a lot of hard work. You know what's easy work? It's easier to just allow the deficit to balloon allow the debt to get out of control, and then leave it to a future government to really pay that price, right? It's easy to do it that way, just like it's easy to get that second slice of cake after dinner, but that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to do the hard thing, and that's to stick up for taxpayers and say, look, uh, sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Bureaucrat, but taxpayers just can't afford to keep paying for these pay raises, these bonuses, and all these extra bureaucrats that are being hired. Do governments expect employees to vote for them? I mean, is this about votes, getting votes? Well, that's a good question. Uh, honestly, I don't know. And, and I think that's the only honest question because there's a lot of things that go into people's minds when they're deciding on how to vote. But, let, but I think it's pretty common sense to know that if you're in power in your government and you're saying that you're going to cut the size of the bureaucracy, uh, I don't think it takes a PhD in political science to predict that, I don't know, maybe those government employees wouldn't vote for you, right? So there's always that consideration as well. Are you surprised, Franco, that there hasn't been more accountability in the sense that, okay, uh, you know, growth is good, expansion is good, but what are these people doing? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Um, it's one thing to add 40% more bureaucrats, but then ask yourself, folks, like, are you getting 40% better service from the federal government? No, of course not, right? Unless you're one of those bureaucrats collecting a bigger taxpayer-funded bench or paycheck. I don't think anyone in Canada is getting 40% better services from the federal government. 
Um, but look, you know, we taxpayers are on the hook over the last number of years for tens of thousands of additional bureaucrats, for hundreds of thousands of pay raises, for hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses, and government departments continuously meet less than half of their own performance objectives, right? So why are we paying for all of this money when their departments can't even meet half of their own performance objectives? It's crazy. Do you think this resonates with Canadians? Well, I think it resonates with people who see their tax bills going up, right? People who are struggling uh, to afford groceries. I mean, how many small business owners are, are, are friends who own restaurants or gyms right down the street that we frequent? How many of them had to take out a line of credit just to keep the lights on over the last couple of years? And then they see their tax bill going up. And not to mention, they had to pay for 800,000 pay raises during those tough pandemic years and essentially hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses uh, for the bureaucracy every single year. So I think it sure does resonate to taxpayers who feel like we're being used uh, as an ATM here to fund the growth in the bureaucracy and all these pay raises and bonuses. I think that's a real sticking point. All right, Franco Terrazano with his Canadian Taxpayers Federation. His latest, Trudeau must slim down bloated bureaucratic belly. Boy, what do you think, uh, Trudeau? Uh, do you think the chances Trudeau might keep any sort of resolutions? It's pretty tough for everybody, Franco. Well, it sure is tough for me. That's why I wrote it that way. But here's the one thing they can do as a start. Stop the upcoming member of Parliament pay raise. Hopefully they do that as well. Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director and the size of the federal government. Franco, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Hey, have a good one, guys. Emmy Awards are tonight. Are you going to watch? Huh? Come on. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Uh, several Canadians are vying for Emmy Awards tonight, including Hamilton's Martin Short, producer Susan Coyne as well. Hamilton Born Short nominated again for his leading role in the Disney Plus CTV murder mystery comedy Only Murders in the Building. He's had a total of 15 uh, primetime Emmy nominations and two wins. To talk about that and anything we can expect, Bill Brio, TV critic and author, he is with us now. Bill, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Doing okay, Scott. How are you? So far, so good. Happy New Year to you. I know you love award shows. Are you going to be watching this tonight? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I'll probably tune in the beginning. Uh, I watch, uh, I'll see what Chelsea Handler does. You know, she's, she's hosting, yep. and I think she holds award shows in about as high an esteem as I do. Uh, hmm. So that might be fun. So uh, Martin Short, as I mentioned, uh, nominated. Uh, what, what are his chances in this category? It's tough, you know. I mean, I think he was terrific on this third season. Third season of Only Murders in the Building was okay. It wasn't the best season, but he was asked to do a lot. And, uh, you know, he it was a much more dramatic uh, season for him. Uh, you know, he's acting opposite uh, one of the great actresses of the world, of course, on this season. And, um, yeah, you know, but I just, I doubt it. I don't think so. Comedy, it's hard to break through, but... Um, Fingers crossed. We'll we'll pull for him anyway. I'd certainly win for him. Who are the favorites? Uh, and is it is it largely like the Netflix of the world, or how is traditional TV faring here? Aside from Abbott Elementary, the sitcom that's on ABC, most everything else is on streaming. And uh, you know, you've got um, Succession is a series, a drama series that's got a lot of attention over the last year. Um, you know, I think uh, Bear is another show. Um, 
Kieran Culkin on succession was very good. Those are names that you're hearing a lot, but you keep in mind, it was a weird year. There was two strikes, the actors and the writers. Uh, there was a lot of shows that didn't come back or if they came back, they came back late and uh, things are still kind of disrupted from that. So it's a, it's a hard year to handicap. Uh, you, you know, you bring up a very valid point. It's a hard year in many ways for many different reasons, including uh, the entertainment uh, industry. And, and as you, you're talking about the strikes and such. So uh, how do you do this? Do you try to make it funny? Uh, be, uh, or is it times like this that make it more interesting because they're challenging and people are on the edge? Good question. I know that they recently had um, the it was the SAG Awards or the Critic, some other award show. Yeah, and, and the uh, guy and the host got panned. He bombed and he didn't really have his act together. Uh, the um, comedian who hosted the award show. So I don't, if you're going to be funny, you better be funny and you better not blame your writers if the jokes are bombing, which he did, which was, you know, ridiculous. Um, I think there was enough despite the strikes to really be impressed by and root for. I think in the documentaries, um, the one about Michael J. Fox, still a Michael J. Fox movie, was mm. outstanding. Uh, if you saw that, uh, it's Fox who's has been suffering for Parkinson's for 25 years longer. And, uh, you know, it was just a really uh, Im- impressive uh, documentary about everything he's gone through and, and the progress that has been made by the millions and millions of dollars that he's raised. Um, is the industry happy? Will this be reflected in the show? Good times, um, or will we hear fallout? Will be the will this be times to be political or make your point? You know, I think people are just happy to be in one big room and, and not be <laughs> isolating. You know, and it's time to put on the nice clothes again and red carpet and all of that. Um, the glamour and viewers are probably ready for that as well. The curious thing is, will are, are people really still embracing this kind of stuff? Because everything was sort of paused last year, gave people maybe a chance to say, well, maybe I don't need to see NCIS every week or Law and Order this or Chicago that. Um, and um, look around a bit, you know. So I, I, I wonder. I, I don't think that award shows will ever be the, the audience magnets that they were. Uh, five ten years ago, mm-hmm. I don't think any any of us watch anything in one big room like we used to. You know, so people might have heard that the Bear is a really cool show, but how many people really saw it? You know, and even with only murders in the building, there are people that are just seeing it now for the first time because it's on CTV or ABC. After three seasons, they're, they're showing it with commercials, right? So when times are tough, do people want the glitter? Do people want that? Or is it, is, is, is it still an escape? Well, you know, I, I think that people do need some glamour in their lives and, and award shows provide it. I just think there's, it's like late night talk shows. There's too many of mm. them. And, and mm. so, you, you know, it starts to all blur. I think that people will watch the Oscars again. Although, how many people went to a cinema to see a movie last year? You saw Barbie, you saw probably Oppenheimer, maybe one or two others, maybe. Uh, so it, it's just different, right? And um, a lot of the action was on television. So I think the Emmys is still going to be a draw um, in September, whenever that happens next. 
But I don't know. Golden Globes and things like that, I, I do think um, those things are trending down for many reasons. All right, Bill Brio with us, TV critic and author, the state of TV and award shows moving forward. Bill, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We certainly know the issues of affordability, trying to put food on the table, all that sort of thing. And, of course, the parade of the shameful parade of uh, grocer CEOs that have happened of late uh, as they they get called up in front of uh, government officials and and uh, I, I guess embarrassed for not doing enough and being greedy and and not lowering prices. Well, it's no wonder uh, customers, people have the uh, perception that they do of these grocery chains when Loblaws has announced that stores in Canada will no longer offer last day sale items at a 50% discount. Uh, the grocery giant will be decreasing the discount on food items nearing their expiry dates to 30% in all of its stores. Uh, they confirmed this uh, this week. Historically, our stores offered a range of discounts from 30 to 50 on the serve tonight type of products. Uh, Loblaws uh, Vice President of Communications said, we're now moving towards a more predictable and consistent offering, including more consistency with our partners. More consistent in that, in the sense that, okay, instead of offering you 50, we're just going to make it 30 all the way across. <laughs> and and uh, we make more money. Uh, it seems bizarre that they're doing this in a time when people probably don't have the best uh, taste in their mouth when it comes to uh, grocery store chains. Dr. Sil- uh, Dr. Sylvain Charlebaugh with us, Professor of Food Distribution and Policy, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie and here now. Sylvain, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, I am. Well, Cons- I guess as a Loblaw shopper, not so much. <laughs> it would have been nice to have seen uh, the opposite going to 50% across the board instead of 30 across the board. <laughs> I love I love the wording of that. They're making it incons- they're making it consistent. more consistent by yes. by offering you less instead of more. They're offering you <laughs> consistent consistently less instead of consistently more. Considering yeah. what we've talked about Silvano of late and in the the perception that people have of these large chains, are are you surprised they'd make such a move? Well, so there was never an announcement. Uh, so over the last couple of weeks, uh, I was hearing uh, rumors about this uh, this change. And uh, so I basically, last week, I decided to uh, check with Loblaws uh, and see whether or not uh, rumors were actually true. And and I did get uh, a confirmation from uh, from Loblaws about the change. Uh, the timing is is not great. Uh, we're in the middle of January. A lot of people are getting their bills from the holidays, um, and already a lot of people are financially stressed. And and these enjoy tonight deals, and because that's what we call them most often, mm-hmm. uh, they were getting more popular. I mean, if you if you look at a piece of meat worth fifty dollars. Uh, 50% is a lot of money. It's $25. Uh, mm. Even 20%, the difference between 50 and 30 uh, is $10. So you're talking about a lot of money here. And so, uh, and the fresh section of the grocery store gets a lot of traffic. And we do spend a lot of money on fresh. And people who are looking for quality products, good nutrition, they'll buy fresh. And once in a while, people will pick up discounted products. But uh, uh, so it was disappointing to hear about uh, the change, but what was really disturbing, uh, to be honest, is 
the rationale basically saying, you know what, we're going to be copying yeah. the competition. Isn't that not? So we've been hearing about price fixing. So are we looking at discount fixing now? Exactly. And on that, I mean, many have been talking about what's needed here, including yourself, is more competition in this industry. And there's a statement from their communications people basically saying, uh, to heck with competition, we're going to make sure that all of our uh, <laughs> all of our deals are consistent with each other. That's the opposite of competition. In a free market, consumers should expect grocers to be aggressive, be innovative, creative when it comes to selling food and, and discounting products so they can remain as competitive as possible. We're not expecting grocers to copycat each other out. I mean, that's not the way a free market actually works. So I, I was a bit, a bit surprised, but I'll be honest, I, I, I did reply to Loblaw saying, do you want me to post this on social media? <laughs> and within two minutes, I got a response, no problem. No problem. Really? So it never occurred to the company that what they wrote may actually be seen as a problem for Canadians. How do you explain that, Sylvan? Because again, it's not like we haven't been through this a million times. It's not like they haven't been in front of paraded in front of politicians. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think yet again, uh, a grocer, uh, namely Loblaw, uh, missed uh, a, a, a crucial opportunity to read the room. Uh, I, I do believe that they just don't see what's going on. Uh, and, uh, and so I do believe that some of the decisions that, that have been made in the last 12, 18 months had nothing to do with their their reputation, uh, how they're seen uh, throughout the public. Uh, they just kind of went yeah. it with it. They looked at their margins. This was about protecting margins as much as possible. And here we go. They never actually thought about how convenience would be impacted or how they would feel about the decision. Yeah, they don't seem to really care about that sort of thing. Are they going to make or save that much money by altering this? Uh, it, it's important to recognize that the periphery of the store where the fresh products are, uh, margins are quite substantial. Uh, it varies from 30 to 60%. So they are making money quite a bit. But the reason why they've, they, they were discounting uh, these products is to do two things. One, offer us good deals. And two, uh, reduce food waste. Yeah. Now, I yeah. don't think that this will actually generate more waste because they are encouraging people to use uh, their the, the app um, Flash Food. And it's the same thing. And you can actually have access to uh, discounted products using Flash Food. But the problem, Scott, is that you won't see, you won't touch, you won't look at the product. You only... You can only can buy a photo, a photograph, uh -huh. and then show up at the grocery store and pick up what you bought online. So it's not the same thing. It's an advantage to go into a store, see a product that is priced at 50% off, and look at it and see if it's not too dry, if, it's, if it looks yeah. good enough to eat. It, 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 would, it would reassure a consumer. But now that advantage was taken away uh, from consumers. What about uh, opportunity for the others uh, by saying, you know what, we're not going to do this. We're going to offer 50% and, and go against this and use that as a advantage. Or is it such a monopoly? Nah, it's not needed. 
That would be nice. That would be nice. And and frankly, the reason why I, I did write uh, a, a piece on, on this issue on, on the weekend, and, and, and I'm just trying to make this an issue, a public issue, because I do believe that Canadians need more. They need help. And if if another grocer responds positively and starts offering deals at 50% in their stores, that power power to them. I, I think it'd be great to see. Uh, sir, personally, I, I would love to see Loblaw reverse his decision, but that's highly unlikely. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois with us, Professor of Food Distribution and Policy, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Big discounts on old items, food uh, served for today. Uh, don't expect as much savings as you once did, perhaps. Sylvain, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. A quick break here. We're coming right back. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. You've no doubt seen the pictures of the home on Ferry Street East. It's uh, an unstable home uh, that's being built in Hamilton's north end. Had got by uh, building inspections so far, but then an off-duty city building inspector uh, noticed that something didn't just seem quite right and notified the city. Immediately, they sent someone out and confirmed that the structure was unsafe and risk of failure. To talk more about all of that, Bob Nautilus with his manager, Building Inspection, City of Hamilton, and here now. Bob, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yeah, hi, Scott. Thanks for having me on. So, Bob, tell us about this build, about this house. Why is it unsafe? So the, the house is, is structurally unsafe. Um, it's it's difficult to get into some of the details as there's uh, further investigation that still needs to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. As you can appreciate, our primary concern is to make it safe for now so that we can get in and do that investigation. So what would the, and give us a little bit of insight here. I'm not a building inspector. So the building inspector or somebody's walking by and they go, eh, something's not right there. Can you, can you at least tell us of what they noticed or what they thought was out of the ordinary? Sure. So as, as you mentioned off the top, uh, it was a building inspector that initially noticed it after hours. And, and you could visually see that there, there was a lean to the building. Um, we we kind of call that rackings. So the walls are out of plumb and and tilting mm-hmm. over towards the neighboring property. So immediately got on the phone and and called the after hours inspector and off we went. What causes that, Bob? Is it uh, unstable ground below it? Is it the actual structure itself? What causes that to happen? Yeah, so it's it wouldn't be anything below in this case. The foundation's all uh, in good shape. Uh, it could be a mm-hmm. lot of different things. Again, it's hard to, to comment on exactly what, what, what happened in this case. Uh, wind, you know, environmental conditions are sometimes a factor, uh, you know, temporary construction bracing. So it just, it could be a lot of different things, but uh, really until we can get in and have a fulsome review and, and investigation as to what it act exactly is for this building, it's hard to say exactly. So we're looking forward to getting in there and doing that investigation. So it doesn't look like anything like the, it's settling, like the, the land is settling. There's no, uh, other than the, the structure itself, there's no immediate uh, threat to the other properties. Correct. Yeah, there's no indication of any movement or settlement with the foundation. It's, it's right. strictly relating to the framing and the actual above-grade construction of the building. So how does a, we understand that there had been some previous inspections. How does it get past one and then get to here? Yeah, so the building code sets out a, a 
mandated list of prescribed notices for inspection. So uh, again, as you could appreciate, building inspectors aren't on site for the entirety of the construction of the dwelling. Um, yeah. We get called out for, for a number of various inspections. So some you know, previous inspections were not related to the framing. So we, we did get a call back in November to, to go out and have a look at the framing inspection, but the owners were not prepared for that inspection. So uh, they did have to rebook it into January. So um, the, the pa all the past inspections were approved, but they were unrelated to the, the structural component that's right. that we're speaking about now. So now this has to be secured before you can go in to can figure out really what to do next. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's exactly it. So we've, we're working closely and very diligently with our, uh, our, I guess, emergency contractor and their engineer and inspectors have been on site. They were on site all weekend and things are progressing very well. And we anticipate, uh, uh hopefully a quick resolution to this. Uh, that was my next question, Bob, any idea for a timeline? Cause I guess the other people that are surrounding this property are affected. They're out of their property. Is that accurate? That's accurate. And that's out of an abundance of caution for sure. Um, yeah. It was a requirement to the professional engineer that they vacate their, their homes, unfortunately. Um, and we understand the frustrations there. And we're, uh, as I said, we're working very quickly to hopefully correct the matter and, and get them back to their homes as soon as possible. Would this house have, or the design have already been approved? It kind of looks a little larger than the ones around it. It looks like it's just kind of fallen over. Yeah, so we, we had a look at that as well, and the building permit application did not require any variances. It's all within the, the um, I guess, allowances for the zoning bylaw, so it's it's built in accordance with the um, with the approved zoning on site. Mm -hmm. um, so everything did go through the proper channels in that respect, so it's nothing to so really in other comment words, on there, I guess. Right. So uh, at the end of the day, it's a design someone picked. It's what they're building. That's all good. It's just that it's leaning now. That's right. Yeah. And that kind of gets back to that investigation component. We really got to get in to figure out, you know, the hows and the whys. And, and hopefully it's a, a learning a learning tool for all of us. Um, and, and again, I'm sure I'm asking you questions that you just don't know the answers to yet, Bob. But is, is there chances that this could be fixed or do you think that it may have to end up being demolished? Yeah, so the engineer that we've been working with on site is, has indicated that there could be uh, a, a number of different options forward. So uh, it's it's not the city's responsibility to pick which, which way we're going to go with it. We're just trying to make right. it safe and then hopefully pass the ball into the, into the owner's hands so that they can kind of take the next steps. Uh, but but certainly the, repair is an option. Demolish is also another option. Uh, what is the owner's response been to all this? So at the onset of the emergency, this kind of goes back to last Wednesday, uh, we weren't able to get a hold of the owner right away, um, which always makes these things a little bit more complicated. Um, since that time, we have been in touch with the owner and the owner's representative. So we, we do have an open line of communication and they seem supportive of uh, taking this matter over once we've made the building safe. All right, Bob Nuttall with us, Manager of Building Inspection, City of Hamilton. I uh, noticed something just wasn't quite right with a build on Ferry Street East. It has been halted, and we we'll wait and see what happens moving forward. Bob, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thanks, Scott. Bye for now. 
When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CXML. This is really frustrating for a lot of Canadians because it, again, you get the feeling we've got another self-inflicted wound on our hands. Uh, Immigration Minister Mark Miller says in the next few months he'll be looking at the possibility of putting a cap on the number of international students living in Canada, but we wouldn't say how or how they plan on doing any of this. I think what's frustrating for Canadians is that uh, we're hearing through information from the Freedom of Information Act by uh, from Canadian press that the Immigration Department said two years ago that these targets were too high and that uh, and that they would stress, this would stress, uh, allowing this many people to come in, would stress the health care system and the housing system already in crisis. However, that didn't seem to matter, and off we went. Oddly enough, the person who was, house, who was uh, uh, Immigration Minister during that time uh, Sean Frazier is now the housing minister charged with trying to build enough homes, not only for you, Canadians, but new Canadians that are coming in uh, as a result of this. And it, it, it just uh, a lot of people are, are asking the question why this information uh, wasn't taken to heart before and why now. The flip-flop on this. Let's bring in Cassandra Faltz, a regulated, uh, regulated Canadian immigration consultant and founder of Doherty Faltz Immigration Consultants, of whom she is a senior consultant and here now. Cassandra, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Cassandra, are you surprised to hear uh, the current immigration minister saying that they're looking at the possibility of putting a cap on international students after immigration two years ago already said, you know, you got to watch this. These targets are too high and could stress the situation. Are you uh, whether health care or housing? Are you surprised? Number one, I guess they didn't uh, take this information to heart. And number two, now they're changing their stance, it appears. Well, to be honest with you, I'm not surprised. I think they would say anything at this time. Like, if you need a favor from uh, the government right now, I think now's a good time to ask. Because I think they would do anything at this point to sort of deflect from this huge gap that is years in the making. So, uh, years in the making, Cassandra. Tell us about that. Uh, How did we get here? So, that's it's a really good question. It's It's a complex circumstance, our set of circumstances that we're, we're dealing with. But this government is long in the tooth. This government came to power nine years ago this year. And you you may remember sort of the, the tweet heard around the world uh, way back in 2015, the hashtag welcome refugees from our then, you know, only a couple months old prime minister that started sort of a, a collapse of the refugee system. Because so many people, literally tens of thousands per year, started walking across in the United States. And I think that problem and this problem are very close uh, in, in nature. And the issue is no one is thinking ahead. No one is thinking ahead. How is this going to impact people? And, you know, the, the real, I think the, the real uh, issue here, one of the worst problems is This is hurting immigrants, too. This is not just hurting people who were born in Canada and raised in Canada their whole lives. This is hurting newcomers just as much, if not more, uh, because because of these short sighted measures. It seems that we, uh, Cassandra, uh, ignore the info, create the problem. Now we're playing catch up here. 
You're not wrong at all. You're not wrong at all. The, you know, the question that we we all want to know the answer to is why. Why did they not listen? Yeah. If they were yeah. warned, right, someone somewhere thought ahead and thought, hmm, this might cause a problem, uh, you know, a couple of years down the road. But why did they not listen? And that I don't have an answer to. You know, we we speculate that, OK, maybe maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't know. But clearly that's not true. They were warned. And they, you know, we can also think, well, maybe they just didn't take it seriously. Maybe they just didn't think that it would be that bad. But why would someone think that it wouldn't be that bad when things have been on this trajectory for years, for literally years? And the only thing that you can really come up with at that point is they're just not the ones who are impacted. They are not the ones who are impacted. You know, we're, we're talking about people who've never had to fill out a visa application for themselves. They don't know what this process is like, uh, and let alone not knowing where they're going to live next year or how they're going to how they're going to weather the financial hardship of crazy interest rates, your mortgage payments doubling or your rent going up by 50%. These are the people making decisions like that have never had to have, you know, had those things in their consideration. So that's, you know, that's one possibility, but who really knows why? And, you know, it, it seems, again, that one, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. How odd is it that the immigration minister who was in charge when all of this was going down and the recommendations were to tap the brakes, these are too too high of targets, is now the housing minister who's charged in building all the houses so people got a place to go. It seems yeah. like how can you have how can you have these two ministers not talking to each other, not talking to the government, not 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 talking about what is the reality here? It's truly unimaginable. It's truly unimaginable. It's gross incompetence. How can you literally have the person who vacated the seat and moved yeah. to housing? Not giving a heads up to the person who is inheriting the seat as minister of immigration, it boggles the mind. That there is there is nothing anyone can say to erase how ridiculous this is. So Mark Miller, the new immigration minister, said, is looking at the possibility of putting a cap on a number of students in the future. Is this just lip service now because people are so upset? Or do you honestly think that you will see some change here? It's possible. Uh, not, nothing is impossible. Like I said, now's the time to ask for a favor because I think he would, you know, he would do anything. To deflect from how bad this is and how upset people really are, and they really are upset. Uh, a, a cap on the number of students is a possibility. There have already been major reforms to the international student program just within the past couple of months. I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, the financial requirement has now doubled just yeah. in just in the last few weeks. Previously, you needed to demonstrate at least uh, one year of tuition, like your first year of tuition plus 10,000 Canadian dollars for living expenses. Now it's one year of tuition plus 20,000 over $20,000. And that figure will increase yearly with the low income cutoff. So that's a huge reform. That number 10,000, it hadn't changed in 20 years. And now, now it's finally changing because people are upset because people are upset. So Mm. it's not inconceivable that they would actually put a cap on the number of students accepted. Cassandra Fultz with us, regulated Canadian immigration consultant, founder of Doherty Fultz Immigration Consultants. Cassandra, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. The pleasure is mine. Thank you so much. You might remember uh, six years ago, we talked about this and have talked about it a few times since. 
uh, and really not a lot of information coming out uh, new about the murders of Honey and Barry Sherman. Uh, you might remember he, of course, the founder of Apotex Drug Company. They were found in their Toronto home. Uh, murdered, initially thought to be a murder-suicide and a botched investigation, and still um, no suspects at this point. Now, a different twist to this story. Kevin Donovan, Toronto Star reporter, uh, says that a messy fight over the riches from the bank of Barry Sherman has spilled into court with one side of the family taking legal action against the other six years after uh, the couple was murdered, uh, recently filed in Supreme Court, a Superior Court, sorry, comes from two children of Honey's sister and best friend, 29-year-old twins Matthew and Rebecca. They want Sherman's son Jonathan and his two fellow estate trustees to provide full accounting of a mysterious trust Barry set up the year before he died. It just gets more complicated. Kevin Donovan here, chief investigative reporter for the Toronto Star. And here now, Kevin, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am. Thanks for having me on today. So before we even get to this latest sort of uh, uh, layer of this onion, what about the actual case? Anything new to report there, or is this a cold case? The police insist it is not a cold case. They have one uh, detective working full-time on it, a relatively junior detective. His job is to sort through information they brought in from uh, search warrants and production orders and then file for more bits of information. Uh, it does certainly, to a lot of people in the law enforcement community that talk to me, feel like a cold case, but the, the police say it isn't. They did uh, just about a year ago seize uh, 14,000 documents from a place in Toronto. Uh, I think it's probably Barry Sherman's uh, uh, business uh, affairs they've gotten uh, information on, and they're going through that to try and, and prove uh, a theory they have. I do think the police have, they certainly have persons of interest. I think they probably have a suspect uh, or a couple of suspects, but they're trying to prove the case. Will that get easier to prove with time, Kevin? Well, <laughs> It's interesting because some of the people that might have information on this case are, you know, getting up in years. They're the, the people close to the Shermans who were in their uh, late seven, mid to late 70s. Uh, there's other people, though, I think that uh, once they see that the police are getting closer, will be encouraged to to speak. Uh, the police uh, don't seem to be going away. The problem with this case is that there's no there's nothing at the scene of the, of the crime that is helping them forensically at all. So it is a, and the police have said this, uh, a circumstantial case that they are trying to build. They believe somebody who had some reason to benefit from the deaths of, of the Shermans uh, is implicated and they're trying to prove it. And I think, you know, to give the, I've been pretty tough on the police, but they don't want to bring charges and then have them thrown out of court two months later. So, so they're, they're, they say they're taking their time and, I continue to uh, aggressively try and find, make sure they're doing their job uh, correctly because they, they, they really made a lot of mistakes out of the gate. So how, okay, let's fast forward to the, the twins, uh, niece and nephew of Honey and Barry Sherman. How are they involved in this? Well, they're, they're, they've launched uh, what is very rare in the world of the Shermans, a public uh, lawsuit uh, where they are challenging Three people, uh, the main one being uh, Jonathan Sherman, who's uh, the son of, of the late Baron Honey Sherman. Uh, Jonathan and two other people are 
were left in charge of Barry's estate, but they were also left in charge of something that I didn't know about until a couple of weeks ago, a trust that holds at least a half a billion dollars. Uh, it was set up just the year before the Shermans were murdered. It's uh, an attempt by Barry Sherman to uh, you know, deal with some tax liabilities he had. So he put uh, he did what's called an estate freeze in 2016, the year before the murders. And then this $500 million plus is uh, relates to, to money that he would have earned after 2016, after the estate freeze. He's named in this trust document all of his uh, his children and grandchildren and all of the children, grandchildren of his sibling and of his wife, Honey's sibling. So there's quite a few of them. I think there's about 20 people named in this. Mary Sheckman was uh, Honey's best friend and sister, and it is her two children that are suing. And they're saying that they deserve part of this money. They've seen none of it. And there's a lot of animosity amongst various parts of the Sherman family and and the, the twin children of, of uh, Honey's sister Mary are saying that you can't deprive us of this money just because you don't like us, basically. Um, so that's wow. where that is now. And what I find interesting about this, not it doesn't relate, uh, I don't think, to the murder investigation, but I think some information may come out of this lawsuit, uh, which will be helpful both to, to me and maybe to the police as well. Can you decide or divvy out money be, while well, there's a criminal investigation going on? You'd think everything would just be frozen at this point. Yeah, great question. Well, so the, the after Barry and Honey died, there, he had a very simple will. They never found a will belonging to Honey, but Barry's will left everything uh, in equal four parts to their four children. And my understanding is that most of that money has been divvied out. This $500 million would just be part of what has been divvied out. So if the children and grandchildren are successful in this this legal action, that money would have to be paid out of basically from the four Sherman children who are the who have inherited all of Barry's billions. Uh, so yeah, there's been no freeze at all on this uh, because there's nothing uh, that the police know of that is criminal related to, you know, this this money. I, I will say that I believe that the Canada Revenue Agency is taking a hard look at a lot of Barry's offshore holdings. Uh, some of the stuff that I've written about in the last couple of months has attracted the attention of CRA. And uh, so that's you know, causing them to hire more lawyers and, and try and sort all that out. Barry was very philanthropic. He and his wife gave away millions of dollars to great causes, but he did not like paying taxes. And so he set up mm. these trusts. And I believe there's probably more of them to uh, avoid paying the taxes he probably should be paying. All right, you touched on this, Kevin, and we've only got a few seconds left. So will this sort of sidebar of a niece and nephew action, will that somehow shed more light on the criminal case, do you think? I don't know if it'll shed light on the criminal case, but certainly it will shed more light on Barry's financial dealings. And hmm. uh, I mean, I can imagine a day when a lot of information comes out through this lawsuit that would help somebody like me look at the into this kind of abyss of, of Barry's holdings. I mean, part of this is, is a business story. I mean, Barry was a very, very successful Canadian business person. Um, not knowing what's, what's in the trust. I can't say if it would help, but 
uh, it always helps me to get more information. So I, I will keep on uh, striving to get that. Kevin Donovan with us, chief investigative reporter for the Toronto Star. Been following the Henny, uh, the Honey and Barry Sherman story uh, since it uh, the murder happened, and now it looks like the family fighting over uh, this. So uh, lots of stuff to uncover yet. Kevin, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks for having me. All right. Earlier, we were talking to my, to my brother-in-law, who is uh, uh, down in Buffalo watching the game. I understand it's twenty-one nothing now, if I'm uh, still correct. Uh, and and you know, he basically had to dig his way into his seat. Well, Scott Radley's there as well, so I'm guessing no Scott Radley show tonight, but still a chance to talk to him and capture the scene. Scott, how are you? Well, I'm not looking at any metal poles. I'll tell you that, Scott. It is uh, a little busy here. <laughs> But uh, that's okay. We're having a great time. Bills are doing well, and the fans are happy. And yeah, it's all good. And and cold though, and cold. So uh, tell us about the snow, because my brother-in-law was down there, and he was basically had to dig his way into his own seat. I don't have a seat because I have a pile of snow. Um, uh. Yes, and, and I'll tell you what, the, because of what happened yesterday, there are thousands of people still outside. Who the traffic is unbelievable because. So many of the parking lots around the stadium, first of all, you know they're building a new stadium for the Bills, and so that was on the site of one of their parking lots, one of their biggest ones. Well, it's right. now, of course, no longer available. And because of the snow, they were moving it from parking lots, so two of their other parking lots are covered in mountains of snow. Oh, so man. it is almost impossible to find a parking spot. And the roads around here, we actually took a shuttle, but got off the bus a kilometer or two away from the stadium because it was not moving. We just walked here because it's just, it's crazy how bad the driving is right now. But hey, that doesn't matter. It's, um, you know what? It's a lot of fun. It's uh, Any game always is better when the home team is winning and the fans are happy. Everyone. Yeah. Now, what about uh, the stadium? Is it full? Is only half the people oh, yeah. show up? What do, when you look around, do you see bodies, bums in the seats or standing oh, anyway? No. Nobody is sitting. Because again, there are no, honestly, there are no seats. They are just yeah. mountains of snow. We have not sat down yet. But yeah, it's, um, I mean, there are seats. But again, those are the people who I think just can't find a parking spot. Yeah. And so, but otherwise, I mean, it is, um, it is very full. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing the search for the idiot not wearing a shirt today, going, you know, topless. I haven't seen that person yet, but I'm sure he's out there. Well, I was hoping either you or my brother-in-law would peel off your shirt so I could see you on TV. It will not be me. I do not need to have chap nipples, Scott. I am. Uh, <laughs> I am. I have reached an age when that is no longer a, necess- a necessity in my life. But I am getting so, covered in snow. Every time the Bills do something good, of course, there's a big celebration naturally. And the celebration today is, as has happened in the past, everybody just grabs hunks of snow and throws it in the air. So. You end up with about a twenty-second blizzard after every touchdown. Oh man, that's hilarious! Right I can... now, which is not a touchdown, but I'm just getting covered in it while we're talking. It's all good. <laughs> I can just imagine this, uh, you know, stadium-sized snowball fight breaking out between everybody. Oh, there is. There is. If you look in the back of the end zone, there was a controversial call that went against the Bills. Uh, well, I don't even know if it was controversial. It was from where I was sitting, but I am not on TV to see it up close. And the back of the end zone is littered with snowball markings from the people aiming at the ref. <laughs> oh, man. Well, another experience at a Bills game, and why not? So do you think they'll get this all cleaned out by next week? Uh, well, uh, we're in the snow belt here. I mean, coming through Buffalo, there's nothing. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, 20 minutes down the road, 
it is it is ridiculous. But it's you know it's the build up. But hey, listen, you say another Bills experience. Listen, my son was able to at the last minute get these tickets because the game was supposed to be yesterday. Yeah. And of course, the game got moved because of that crazy blizzard. And so you know what? When your son says, "Hey, I can get tickets," you do things with your kids. And uh, this is one of those experiences that I'm glad we get to do, even though. Uh, I my hands may be frozen into position after talking to you for a while. I may not be able to move it for twenty days, but it's okay. It's all good. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to to talk to us and share the experience. I know that probably this is not your biggest priority right now. Uh, no, at least, staying... and if I see a guy with no shirt, I'll know it's your brother. That's right. You say hi to him for me. All right. Well, thanks, Scott. Stay warm and say hi to the sun and good luck. Drive safe. Getting home. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. This one from Frank. When I was young, I was poor. But after years and years of hard, honest, and painstaking work, I'm no longer young. Keep right except to pass.